Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Uh, all that being said, I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 17 and going down to verse 21. And so this is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Look, look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was, were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an incredible passage. And of course, if you spend any time in the church, you have probably heard uh, at least verse 17 and verse 21 mentioned, right? Verse 17, therefore, behold, all, uh, the old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. That, that, that incredible passage, you're a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Verse 21 is quoted, it seems like, all the time in the church, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, but I want to focus very specifically on verse 20. And uh, just kind of give you some insights that God has been least revealing and pressing in my own soul. Uh, verse 20 again says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, it's interesting when you look at this idea of an ambassador, uh, and you go back into Paul's day, right, in those ancient days of being an ambassador, there is a lot of similarities between an ambassador of Paul's day and an ambassador of today. And when you look at this idea, there's actually three things that were involved in being an ambassador. Let me just give these to you because I just think these are profound. Number one, to be an ambassador, both in ancient times and in today, there is a commissioning for a special assignment. In other words, you were given an assignment, a special assignment to do something on behalf of somebody else. Uh, secondly, you are representing the one who is sending you, which makes sense. If, if I'm going to be an ambassador to, say, England, I'm going to represent America to the whole British Empire. And I'm going to go and I'm going to stand on behalf of this country and this president and say, behold, this is what we're saying. And you, you are representing the one who is sending you. And then thirdly, you exercise the authority of the one who sent you. So the ambassador to England has the authority of the president behind him. In other words, he gets to make decisions that hopefully are in alignment with the president and what the president is saying, but he is standing in a position because he has been sent with the authority of the one who has sent him. Isn't that a phenomenal picture of what you and I are in this world? Because Paul says we are ambassadors, which means what? You have a special assignment. 
that you have been sent and you stand in the authority of the one who has sent you. And we know that the one who has sent you, Jesus, has all authority. Isn't that a phenomenal idea? That the, the one who has said, hey, will you go off and be the ambassador for me, actually is the one who has absolute all authority in the entire world. Because Jesus says in, in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me, both in heaven and on earth. Which means we are standing in that position of authority. That he has bequeathed, in, in a sense, his authority to us, and now we are his ambassadors in this world with his authority. That's awesome. Some of you are not awake this morning. So with that being said, th those are the three intentions, or those are the three things uh, that, that an ambassador has. But what I love about a Christian ambassador is not just that we stand in a position where we represent the one who has sent us. We are standing in a position filled with the one who has sent us. In other words, it's not like God is still up in heaven and he says, I'm commissioning you, go. And he stays up there and we're now going and saying, hey, I, I am standing, I'm representing the one who sent me. He's over there, way over there. That's not true. Because the one who has sent us actually indwells our lives to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And now as I stand in his authority, I'm standing with him inside of my life. In fact, Paul even says this in verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God was making an appeal through us. So yes, you are the mouthpiece, and yes, you are this clay pot, you are the vessel that he is using, but it is God himself who is wanting to speak through your life, through your lips, through your actions, through your attitude. He is using you as an ambassador, but it is him who is speaking. So think about this. There's no pressure on you. You do not have to come up with the right words. You don't have to come up with the right sayings. You just need to be available. Because the God of the universe, the one who has sent you, is going to speak through you. So you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. Doesn't that sound like some scripture passage you probably memorized? You shouldn't have to worry about what you'll, you'll say in that day because he is actually going to speak it through your life. So that is incredibly different than every other ambassador. Praise the Lord. So as I was researching this idea of the ambassador, I really came up with, there seems to be, there's three different kinds of ambassadors in the ancient day. I don't want to give you two of them, but there seems to be a third. So here are the three different ambassadors. There's one type of, a, of an ambassador that would, to represent the people, would come and they would make an appeal to the emperor. Uh, here is the Caesar, he has conquered this land, and now they have submitted and surrendered themselves to the Roman Empire. And so traditionally, uh, they may or may not have Roman troops there. If it, it was a, if it was a peaceful people, they likely would not have Roman troops there. But as a people who has a governor representing the Roman Empire, he's making decisions, and you're like, we don't like those decisions. And so as a group of people, you say, hey, we should send someone to Rome to represent us as a people to make an appeal to Caesar. And so they would gather their, their resources together, they would choose one of the individuals, and they would send them off to head to Rome, spend the time, wait for the case to show up, and then make their appeal and their treaty with the Caesar. Now, unlike today's ambassadors, very few, if any, were career ambassadors. I mean, today, if you're an ambassador and you make this your career for life, it seems like you're doing really well. 
You get to go to all the parties. You get paid well. They pay for everything. I mean, this is, sounds like a great job. But in their day, in Paul's day, you were not a lifelong or a career ambassador. Typically, if, if you were going to represent the people to the, the, the emperor, you had to pay for it. So you had to pay for your own travel. You had to pay for your own goods. You had to take time off of work. Hey, you were at risk of your own health and in your own life. So you're taking all that into consideration if you were going to go and make an appeal to the Caesar. But that's one kind of ambassador. So it, it's, a, it's, again, this idea that the ambassador is representing the people before the king. The second kind of ambassador uh, really goes with the kind of providence that Rome had. Uh, Rome had two different kinds of provinces. Uh, one was, I'll see if I can get this correct, one was called a senatorial province, and one was called an imperial province. Aren't you glad you're like learning historical stuff this morning? There's going to be a test. Uh, so there's two different kinds of provinces. Uh, a senatorial province means that that province was actually under the authority of the Roman Senate. And what distinguished it was that it was a peaceful place. And typically, no Roman troops were needed there. The other kind of province, the imperial province, means that they were hostile, that they were just taken over, that there's going to be probably some rebellions taking place over there. Therefore, we station Roman troops there. So when it comes to, again, the province that's under the Senate's rule, they would not have an ambassador typically living there. Rome would not send them an ambassador. They're already at peace. And again, if you had an issue, you could send an ambassador to Rome. So when you look at the hostile nation stuff, here's Rome, he conquers, conquers a nation, and now they've stationed their troops there. Rome would send an ambassador from Rome to represent Rome to those people and to govern those people to make sure there was no rebellion, which is where you get that idea of an ambassador sent to a hostile nation. That the ambassador is representing the Caesar or the, or the king and he's standing in the midst of a hostile nation saying, this is what the king demands. And the people are saying, we're going to revolt. And he says, no, you're not, or we're going to kill you. I wish we had that kind of authority. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not true. I, I'm glad we don't have that kind of authority. That's like Middle Ages kind of stuff, and that's not good. But, but that's one kind of an ambassador. So, so Caesar would send an ambassador to a hostile nation to force compliance. But there was another kind of ambassador. And the idea was is that if that imperial providence decided that, okay, we're going to submit, we're going to surrender, and we're going to become peaceful, then what the Senate would do is that the Senate would choose 10 ambassadors from the Senate itself. And these senators would actually travel to this nation, and they would work out a peace treaty that would de define the province of this new senatorial land. And they would work with the people, and they would, they would have these peace treaties to say, okay, here's, here's how this is going to work. This is what we're going to require of you. This is what we're going to do for you guys. This is how we're all going to work together. And this is going to be the land. This is going to be the shape of the land. And then those 10 senators would return back to the Roman Senate, would say, okay, here's, here's the peace treaty that we made. Will you ratify it? And the moment it was ratified, that no longer is an imperial hostile nation. It now is a place of peace, and it's under the authority of the Senate. Does that make sense? So, again, you have these three ideas of an ambassador. One of them is we're a peaceful nation. We are sending an ambassador to Rome to represent us at our own cost. And the other two is Rome is sending an ambassador to a hostile nation. 
one, to govern and rule the hostile nation while they're hostile, or two, to bring them into a peace treaty so that they are, quote-unquote, this is the Roman language, a part of the Roman family. Isn't that neat? And it seems like Paul actually is playing at some level on all three of those things when he says that you are an ambassador. Do you realize that God does not wait for his people to send him an ambassador? That, that God is not over there somewhere and he says, okay, look, uh, if you need something from me, send me an ambassador and, and I will consider, I'll consider the request. Do you realize what he does is he sends ambassadors to the people? Which I love that idea. He does not wait for us to make the first move. He makes the first move. But then he takes your life and he sends you into a hostile world that does not look like you or think like you or act like you. They are not you. And yet he says you're going to live in an entirely different culture. So just as an ambassador of, say, America goes to North Korea, and North Korea has an entirely different language, has a different culture, has a whole different system of thinking, they do different things for fun, if they do anything for fun. It's North Korea, who knows. But hey, you're going to be planted right in the middle of a, of a hostile place, and I want you to represent me. I, I want you to declare good news to the people. And in a similar sense, we are like those 10 senators that God is sending with a peace treaty saying, look, God wants to bring you into the family. He wants to restore. He wants to bring reconciliation. He wants to bring peace. And you, as a Christian, get to stand in that kind of a position and offer a peace treaty to the world. Isn't that beautiful? That Paul says you are an ambassador of Christ Jesus. And he is speaking through your life. But it's probably going to cost you something. And just like some of the ambassadors in the ancient times where it cost them their own money, it cost them their health, it cost them their time, it cost them, it cost them their livelihood. Would you be willing to be an ambassador for Christ? I, you look at Paul's life, he was willing to pay an extreme, extremely high price to be an ambassador for Christ. A lot of times he was out of his own pocket, what little he had. He was beaten, he was thrown in prison, but he considered it worth it. Do you know why it's worth going as an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Paul actually tells us a few verses earlier. If you, if you go back up and look at verse 17, Paul says this. Again, it's that famous passage. But therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Uh, that word there, in my translation, creature, uh, in other translations, it's translated creation. And when you actually look up that word in the Greek, it actually means creation. It's used, I think, 12 times in the New Testament. And a lot of the times, the way it is used is speaking about creation itself. And I love the fact that Paul is, is using the Genesis account of creation to talk about the reality of what's taking place in our life. He says, do you realize that in Christ Jesus, you are a brand new creation? And you're like, that's awesome. But obviously you don't get it because you would be standing up and cheering and running the aisles with white hankies. So let me, let me, let me explain this to you. When Paul says that all things have passed away, behold, all things become new, that you are a brand new creature or creation, he's talking about the Genesis account stuff. 
think about this. As radical as it was for God to speak light in the midst of darkness, as radical as it was to create everything out of nothing, so too he has done that in your life. Which obviously you didn't get, because if you got that, you'd stand up, you would cheer, you would at least tell your face that this is good news. Uh, If you go back into the Genesis account, uh, let me just read this to you. This is the first five verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Listen to this. And, And you know it, but just listen to this afresh. In light of what God has done in your life, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Could you imagine the scene? Here's all this chaos. Here's all this swirling stuff happening. So obviously there was something there. (laughs) Because there was at least water. Waters covering the surface of the deep. And in the midst of darkness... God speaks, and the power of his voice, just his speech, created something out of nothing. He did not get ten-penny nails, a hammer, a tool belt, and start working on something. He just merely spoke it. And of course, I, I, I think it's hilarious that it's like, that's enough for the day. It's like, let there be light! All right, done for the day. It's a good, good, good day's work <laughs> right there. I made light. That's hilarious. Especially because after six days of doing that, let there be, let there be. He's like, I'm going to take a whole day off. (laughs) That's exhausting. And I'm like, you didn't do anything. You You just opened your mouth. And that's all it took. Do you realize how phenomenal, how incredible this thing was? That in the midst of darkness, in the midst of chaos, God spoke and light came into existence. That he spoke all of the trees and all of the birds and all of the animals. He he spoke them all into existence. And Paul is alluding to this and he says, just as radical as it was for God to speak light into the midst of darkness, so he has spoken light into the midst of your darkness In fact, a couple of verses earlier from our passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul says, For God said, light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul Paul is tying these all together and he says, light has been spoken into your life. And do you know who the light is? Jesus. And here your life is full of chaos and full of darkness and and full of all these issues. And what has God done in Christ Jesus in your life? He has spoken light in the midst of your darkness, and now you have Christ. Do you know how incredible that is? That no longer you have to walk in darkness and in chaos. You now have the light of the world inside of your life. In fact, I love it as you walk through the creation account and you look at the seven days of creation, it's actually a phenomenal picture of the gospel. On on day one, you have God speaking light into the midst of darkness, which is a great picture of salvation, which Paul even alludes to. And I don't know if you've ever caught this, but 
when you look at the creation thing, I love teaching our students here this idea, but it says, and it was evening and morning the first day. And of course, that is the weirdest language. Because if I was going to write it, I would say it was morning and evening the first day. But days do not start with morning. Days start with evening. And it's always evening, morning. Which is why Jews, to this day, when you celebrate a Jewish holiday, like like a Passover, it always starts the night before. Does that make sense? So Shabbat, Saturday, right, the day of rest, does not start Saturday morning. It starts Friday night. (laughs) And the moment the sun goes down, woo, we're in a new day. Praise the Lord. And if you follow that through Genesis, it's interesting. It's evening, morning, the first day, evening, morning, the second day, evening, morning, the third day, evening, morning, the fourth day, evening, morning, the fifth day, evening, morning, the sixth day. But on the seventh day, there is no mention of evening and morning. And you have to, as a good Bible students, you have to ask the question, why? Why would, why would God record it's evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, and then on the last day, there's no evening, morning? Now, logically, you have to conclude there was an evening and a morning. So obviously it happened. But why, isn't, why doesn't the Bible record that? And I think it's because by leaving it out, it actually shows an incredible picture of the gospel. So think about this. On day one, God speaks light in the midst of darkness. And something happens. Now the word evening is the Hebrew word Erev. And it has this idea of mixture. It has this idea of obscurity. It's this idea of entropy. Where things, you know, increasingly get dark. Things are increasingly getting worse. That's that's the idea. Which makes sense. As, As the sun is going down and it's starting to get dark, it's harder to see. You start stubbing your toe. Things start becoming obscure and mixed, and it's entropy. You know what entropy is, right? It's that idea that things progressively get worse. And of course, my favorite illustration of that is, you know, every parent goes up to their kid and say, clean your room! And the child says, okay. And when I was a kid, of course, I would throw everything in the closet, and I'd say, I'm done. And my mom would come in, and she's like, all right, let's, let's look to see if you actually cleaned your room. And she'd look under the bed, and then she'd open the closet, everything would fall out, and she goes, do it again. And so I would take the hours to finally clean the room, and everything was put together, and it was perfect, it was beautiful. And about three days would go by, and mom would walk into my room, and she would say, what happened? And I would say, entropy. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. Just things naturally prog- progress and get worse. And that still happens in my kitchen. <laughs> it's just, it is ridiculous. Yesterday, I went down to my kitchen, I went, ah, entropy, all over the place. And so I spent 30 minutes on entropying it. But I I can guarantee you, by tomorrow, there will be entropy in my kitchen. Because I cannot keep that thing clean. It is ridiculous. I need to hire a maid. But that's the word entropy. The word for mourning is the word, the Hebrew word boker, and it actually has this idea, it's basically the opposite of all that. It's things coming visible. Uh, Things are made and brought into order. It's the opposite of entropy. So when you look at the creation account, there's actually this beautiful picture of the gospel in that on day one, God speaks into the midst of the chaos and brings forth light. And again, it's an incredible picture of salvation. But do you realize that on day two, the world is not yet finished. There's still 
Erev. There's still chaos. There's still entropy happening. So what does God do? He speaks in the middle of that Erev. Now, now it's elevated, but there's still Erev. But he speaks in the midst of that Erev and brings it to a greater level of Boker. And then God speaks into that level of Erev on day three and brings it to a greater level of Boker. Are you getting this? Do you realize that God is the same thing in your life? We call it sanctification. That he speaks light into the midst of your darkness, but you're not a finished product. You are not a finished product. Some of you may think you are. Some of you may be close. But you're not. (laughs) Why? Because we all have error in our lives. We all have some chaos and some destructive stuff. And, and what is God doing? God, yes, you have light in the midst of your darkness, but God wants to keep speaking into the air of your life and bring you to a greater and greater and greater levels of boker. And isn't it beautiful that on day seven, there comes a point when it's a day of rest, when there's no more Erev. There's, there's no more having to speak into that Erev to bring about boker. It is fully complete. And there is coming a day when there's going to be no more Arab in your life. And you'll actually get to rest. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's such a great picture of the gospel in, in the book of Genesis. And Paul is picking up on this idea, and he says, do you, do you realize that, that God has spoken dark, uh, light in the midst of your darkness, and he's bringing, he's bringing you a place of greater and greater sanctification? Uh, we're, we're told in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that when you were made, think about this. When you were made, you were made in the very image of God. And do you realize that humanity, the creation of humanity, was unlike any other part of the creation? Every other part of creation, God spoke it into existence. He spoke trees into existence. He spoke the animals into existence. But when he decided to create humanity, he got down and played in the mud. And it says in Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord formed man from the ground. Do you know what God did? God God got down in the ground and started playing with the dirt. And he fashioned a man, and then he looked at the man, and he breathed life into the man. It says, And he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That this is the only creation, this is the only part of creation that God handcrafted. Isn't that incredible? And if you want to have a Christophany idea with with this, the only way I can presume this happened is that Jesus himself is the one playing in the mud because he's the physical one. Which means that after he shaped... Don't take this. Don't go crazy with this. I'm reading into the text. But presuming it was Jesus, and I firmly believe it was... Because if he's forming it, he's not speaking it, he's forming it. He's using hands. And Jesus is the only one of the Trinity that's physical. That's a whole other topic. But, which means Jesus looks at this dirt clod that he made and just goes, and Adam's eyes open, and who is he looking at? And Adam's like, whoa, I look just like you. And God's like, oh, you look just like me. Don't go crazy with that. It's just an interesting thought. When we watch it in the replay in heaven, we'll find out. But 
Paul is picking up on this whole thing. He says, look, you were crafted, handcrafted by God himself. He breathed into your life. He spoke light into the midst of your darkness. And just as radical of a creation, creating something out of nothing was in the first creation, Paul says, do you know what he has done in Christ Jesus in your life now? You have been made a new creation. That here you are full of chaos and sin and darkness, and he has spoken light into the midst of your darkness. He has breathed himself, his spirit, into your life, and now you are a brand new creation, a creature in Christ Jesus. You're a brand new deal. And, and of course, we've heard that so many times, we nod along, we're like, yes, that's awesome, a brand new creature. You are a brand new creation. I mean, just look outside. As crazy as it would be for that to show up like that, so he has changed your life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you realize that before Christ, what used to define your life no longer has to define your life? That those old habits, those old addictions, those old thought processes, those things you've always said, well, that's just my personality. All of that gets to be remade and changed. None of this has to define you. Well, that's just how my family is. Fine, but that's not how you have to live anymore. Yeah, but this is a generational sin. It, yeah, maybe so, but it does not have to define you anymore. Well, I've been, I've, I've been addicted to this for 37 years. Fine, but that no longer has to define you anymore. Yeah, but I was dropped on my head twice. I still had the bump. It does not have to define you anymore. Folks, this is good news. That you are brand new in Christ Jesus. And the old has passed away. And you no longer have to be defined by the junk of your life. Why? Because I am brand new in Christ Jesus. Now, if that was true, which it is. Scripture. Wouldn't it make sense if God has actually, radically, literally done that in my life? That should be a cause for me to be like, I'll give up anything. I'll be an ambassador. Sure, because if God has radically changed me like that, well, I want everyone around me to experience that. Why would I, why would I want to hide that from the people around me? Why, why would I want to hide that? And just, this is exclusive. This is only for people who are blonde-haired and blue-eyed and named Nathan. Mm. It's the best bunch of people in the world. Well, why, why would you want to make that exclusive? Because if you actually have experienced your life as a new creation, this would just explode out of your life, and you just could not help yourself but want other people to experience it too. Because this has so radically changed your life. So why would people be willing to pay the cost for ambassadorship? Well, it's simple. Their lives have been changed. And because someone had spent the time and the energy and the money being an ambassador to them, they are willing to say, oh, let me in on this privilege. And I will be an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I will go out and I will stand in the authority of my King. And it doesn't have to be my words because he's going to speak through me. And the same radical change that he has done in this life, oh, you can experience too. And Paul says, oh, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
as though God was making an appeal through us. Do you realize that this thing is going to cost? This thing is going to just... But it's worth the cost. Paul got so wrapped up in this idea of being an ambassador, this whole idea about the gospel, that it didn't matter where he went, it didn't matter who he was with, he just could not stop talking about the reality of Christ in his life. Just, just listen to a few of these passages. Just have just a couple of them. 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, man, there's just a burn in my soul. I just, I just can't help myself. I just, I have to share with people. A few verses later in verse 23 of chapter 9, Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. He says, every, every decision I make is, is, hey, how is this going to further the gospel? How, how can I just further declare the reality of Christ to this world? He says, every decision I make, everything I do is based off of that. Galatians 2.20, you know it well. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and don't turn there, but if you look at 2 Corinthians 11, Paul begins to describe all the things that he went through on behalf of the gospel. He says, here I was, I was stoned, and I was beaten, and I was hit with rods, and and I had the cat of nine tail thing, and I just I went through toil after toil and pain and peril after peril. Why? Because there's a burn. He says, I have the privilege of being an ambassador. Now, that word ambassador only shows up two times in the New Testament. One of them, obviously, is our passage here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. The other one is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, speaking about the gospel, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He says, I am an ambassador in chains. It's interesting, when you, again, when you go study that, study that idea of an ambassador out, a lot of times an ambassador would actually wear chains or jewelry or some, some sort of an ornament to represent the royalty of the one or the prestige or the riches of the one who sent him. In other words, the Caesar is sending me over to this land. So the Caesar would give you some precious things to wear to represent him. He is the king. So as I go to this nation, I can say, whoa, see this cool gold chain? See the ring? See the medallion? See all this stuff? I am representing the king, and he is wealthy. Paul, though, has a different kind of chain. What is his chain? Imprisonment, persecution, beatings, trials, tribulations. It is not a token of wealth. It is a token of shame in this culture. And yet for the believer, Paul says, this is actually our treasure. This is actually the chains which we wear. In, in fact, in 2 Timothy 1.16, he's speaking to Timothy, obviously, but he's speaking about, he says, Lord, grant mercy to the house of Aniphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He says, these chains that I wear as an ambassador of Christ, they're actually not something to be ashamed of. They're, they're not something just to 
push away. Actually, an ambassador, like, like today, if, if you're an ambassador somewhere, you have like full immunity wherever you go. It was presumed that even in a hostile nation, you could not be arrested, you could not be killed, you could not be beaten. That, that there was a special royalty, in a sense, given to you as an ambassador. And isn't it interesting, as a Christian ambassador, none of that stuff is promised to you? In fact, what is promised to you is that you will be hated, and you will be beaten, and there will be persecuted, and there will be just difficulty and trials. So ponder this. You get to pick what kind of chain you want to wear. Because you could wear the chain of our culture, and it has a lot of bling, has a lot of ritz to it, and it's like, whoa, that's impressive. And if you look at the world today, our whole world is ambassadors for the world system. And we're all caught up in the entertainment and the success and the, and the money and, and all that kind of stuff. And people are all constantly showing off the gold chains that they're wearing. Whether it's the houses, the clothing, the cars, whatever it is. And yet as a believer, there is a chain that you have the privilege of wearing. And it's not that those stuff are evil. I get that. But you realize that the chain that you get to wear as a believer is one of hardship and difficulty and persecution. <sighs> Aren't you excited? And Paul says that I'm an ambassador, and yes, I too have a chain, he says. It just doesn't look like all the other ambassador chains. Because mine's weighty. Mine's a bit rusty. It's not gold. It's heavy. But oh, the sweet value of this chain. Can I ask you, are you willing to pay the price? Just like some of the ambassadors in Paul's day, they had to spend their own money and spend their own time, their own effort, and their own livelihood to be an ambassador? Do you realize that as a Christian ambassador, it may take your time and your money and your resource and your livelihood to share the gospel? That most, most people do not get paid to share the gospel. That we, we, just, we have our lives and, and we're doing our thing, and in the midst of doing our thing, we just have the privilege of sharing the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's going to cost us something. Do you realize that there's going to be a chain that you get to choose to wear? And you can either wear the gold chain of the culture or you can wear the heavy, rusty chain of difficulty. Hey, you get a choice. Quick question. Do you know what the mess message of every ambassador of Christ is? If you read through the passage again in 2 Corinthians 5, the whole passage is about reconciliation. And that word reconcile means in its basic form, to change thoroughly. It's this idea of bringing peace between two parties. And just as the senators would send this group of ambassadors to a hostile nation to create a peace treaty, to invite them in to be a part of the family of Rome, God has sent you off into a hostile nation with a peace treaty. It's called the gospel. To say, hey, do you want to come and be a part of his family? A part of his nation? Which I think is why in Ephesians chapter 6, it says to put on the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Because the message that we preach is a gospel of peace. It's a gospel of reconciliation. And he has done all the work. He has paid every price necessary. And he longs for, his, longs for humanity to be reconciled to him. To be changed thoroughly and brought into a restoration of a relationship marked by peace. 
And you and I have the privilege of declaring that. Which is why Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring tidings of good joy. Great news. Because the one who shares the gospel, the one who brings the gospel, this gospel of peace, it is a triumphant gospel. It is a removal of all hostilities. And yet it's a reconciliation, a reconciling message of peace. Do you know what grand opportunity you have to stand in the authority of the king? That this is not a thumb in your back. This is not another have to. This is not another thing to add to our checklist of things that we should be doing as a Christian. This is just out of the overwhelming love and a bounty of what God has done in your life as he has spoke light into the midst of your darkness, as he is bringing greater and greater sanctification into your life. There should just be something that just goes, wow, look at what I get to experience. I am a new creature, creation in Christ Jesus. I want everyone in my world to experience this. And now I get the privilege of standing in the authority of the king of kings, the creator of the universe, who lives inside of me. I stand in his name and his authority. And I have the privilege of saying, do you want peace in your life? Do you want reconciliation in your life? Do you want healing in your life? Because that's the message that he is bringing. Would you be restored to me? This is Jesus. And he's done everything. He's already done the peace treaty. He's already paid that price. His name's already on the document. Just put your name on there. Can I encourage you? Would you be open to allowing God to give you boldness this week? And realize this is not about technique. This is not even about the words you say. This is all about, Lord, I'm just available. And I realize that I stand in your authority. And it is you who, are gonna, who is going to speak through my life. And if you're not quite there yet, then what I think you need is a fresh revelation of what God has done in your life. Because I think, I'm so convinced that if we actually saw what God has done in our lives, we would not be able to just keep it to ourselves. We would be compelled, like Paul, to share with the world around us. Would you be open to him this week? Pray with me. Uh, Lord, we need you. Lord, I love the fact that you have not called us to be ambassadors apart from you. You want us to be your mouthpiece to this world, yes. But it is you who goes with us, in us, and through us. That this is not about a certain kind of technique. This isn't about a certain kind of gospel track. This isn't about a certain methodology. This is about just being open and available to the King of Kings and for you to put your words through our lips, through our lives, through our attitudes and our actions. Lord, could you somehow acquaint us with all that you have done in our life? That, that just as radical as it is for you to speak creation into existence, just as crazy as it is for you to come and play in the mud and form and shape Adam and then breathe life into him, so too you have done a work in our lives. That Christ, the light, shines in the midst of our darkness. And Lord, how amazing it is to realize that we are not finished products, that you are still bringing greater and greater sanctification and light into our lives. But Lord, don't let us keep this to ourselves. Light is not to be hidden under barrels. It is to shine forth from the top of cities. 
And so, Lord, I did pray that you, were, you would so awaken us to the reality of Christ in our lives that, the Lord, that we would just, oh, that you would blazon forth every moment of every day out of everything that we do. May this world somehow just behold you and be captivated by you. And just They cannot help but see you in our lives. Like Jim Elliott, Lord, would you make us decision people that when people encounter our lives, they are confronted with truth or the point where they have to make a decision. Are they going to buy into the light and buy into the truth and buy into the peace and reconciliation or are they going to shun you and run the other way? Lord, don't let people be neutral when they encounter our lives. But Lord, would you use us as your ambassadors, the ones who are, are called with a special calling, the one who is sent with authority, one who stands in the authority of the one who is sent. Lord, would you use us in this world to proclaim the wonder of who you are? And may the kingdom of God ever increase and grow because the people around us are just so desperate to be brought into the kingdom, to the family of God himself. Lord, will you give us boldness? Would you put words in our mouth? Would you open up opportunities and let us realize it's not us trying to produce opportunities. It's not us trying to look for, for moments to share. Lord, we just need to be open and responsive to you and walk in every door that is open. So Lord, we ask for open doors this week. We ask for opportunities to, to trust and to abide and to depend. And Lord, may you prove your faithfulness. Would you remind us that it is not up to us we cannot, save up. we cannot save the world around us, but you, you can. You have done the work. So, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity that we get to be an ambassador of Christ Jesus, even with chains in a hostile world that gets to proclaim a message of peace. Oh, you are so good, Jesus. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.